and we had some, this was a couple years ago, and Kevin seemed to be the hot ticket in town because he was the oldest person at Summit at the time. He still is probably second or third oldest. And, and so what happened was he took these young bucks, this guy Nick Ballinger, who's now doing some pastor work up in the upper state and teaching Bible, supposedly. And um, he said, if you're a real man, Nick, you're going to go over there and slap the cow or the bull. I think it was a bull, wasn't it? It was a bull. And, and so, you know, Kevin has this weird sense, for those that have been on a mission trip with Kevin, know it's, it's like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jedi, Knight, Kevin Chafin. And he puts this force <laughs> on you and you have to do it. And so... He literally, poor Nick Ballinger, they film it after much taunting, and Nick walks over and slaps the bull. And then the rest you see is the bull run off and go down a cliff. That's all you see. And so then Kevin had to qualify and say, no bulls were actually injured. It was like a small little, you know, bankman that he went down on. And so that's where it came from. And then they had this game called shenanigans. Some of y'all played shenanigans where you call somebody out if it's a lie. And if they don't follow through within 24 hours, you get the slap. And that's where it came from. So that's why we disciple at, at Summit. We want you to know we believe in being authentic. All right, so since being authentic is a key, this is what I want to go over tonight. I believe that we're going to encounter the Lord. I'm going to use this as a stand. I think this is going to be really cool. Uh, if I mess this thing up, please forgive me. Um, let me let me read something to you I thought was pretty neat that I got. Um, okay. Christianity started and it was on and off persecution, okay? So if you're a Christian, you were going to be persecuted. Some of my, some of my favorite uh, people, one, one of them was Athanasius. The, historically, he's called the Black Dwarf. Uh, he's Egyptian and he would hide in places and the Roman Empire could not find him. He was... He was Yoda before Yoda was. And I mean, you could not find this cat. He would go from monastery to monastery, and they could never find him all throughout the Egyptian desert. Nobody could find this guy. Now, they've done statistical research on it. Now, how many people were Christians at about when Constantine took over, right? 312, Milvon Bridge, right? Makes it at that time. At that point in time, the Roman Empire, get this, when Constantine said, okay, we're going to legalize Christianity, at around 312. I want you to tell me. Take a guess. How much of the Roman Empire was Christian? Five. What? Well, he said five. Give me another one. Six. It's like the price is white. You just go one dollar over and you win. Yes. Four point five six. Huh? Ten. Anybody else want to take? Where's all the old people in the house? Y'all didn't know the young what y'all? 13.476. Two, 13.4. <laughs> Pie. Pie. Yeah, I don't understand that. What else? Anybody else? Around 40. Oh, 40. Around 40. How does that happen? How does it happen that Christianity is not, like we can't just come in here and, and sit in this air conditioning and have this nice foo-foo stuff and Right? And how does it happen that almost 40%, some estimates, 40% have become Christian after persecution, putting people down? I mean, women were especially tortured, by the way, ladies. Great men Christian at that time. They would, they would, especially if you had the title of deaconess, ooh, you were going to get it. And so my question is, how did it get to 40%? Think about the statement. 
during a time when Christianity was outlawed and Christians were the outcasts of society, Christianity grew. And it grew without big screen presentations and air-conditioned church buildings with comfy seats, without secret services, without evangelistic crusades, and programmed gospel presentations. Instead, Christians met in secret to worship together. In fact, deacons guarded the door to screen people attempting to come in. As one scholar explained, Christian worship was so designed to enable Christians to worship God. It was not designed to attract non-Christians. It was not seeker-sensitive, for seekers were not allowed in. How did Christianity thrive? And I read this because it was powerful. The character of those early Christians was so engaging, they could not be born. That is how it survived. Why do you want to be a Christian? Why is it God spoke into your heart that you saw something in somebody else? And let's be all honest. Somebody loved us in spite of us. Right? Somebody loved us in spite of us. And we pushed them away, and we didn't like it, or whatever else. Or maybe you thought the girl was hot, and so you followed her. Or ladies, maybe you thought the guy was cool. I don't know what's going on. But when somebody, somehow, someway, God ordained, then somebody was so authentic that it drew you into the presence of the Lord. Christianity thrives on being authentic. Okay, so here's where I want to go. Second This, by the way, it's on Facebook. If you want to go to Summit Church, it's on summitcharleston.com, all the notes. All right, 2 Corinthians 1. Woo! I cannot wait. I might do the warm. All right, here we go. Never mind, 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I said 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Let me pray. Lord, um, we take this word seriously. Every, every word that's on the screen, we believe that is the very breath of God. It's not something that some man wrote down as he heard something speak into his belly. It's not something that some man thought about while he was sitting in some type of high. It's not something that somebody wrote out of a broken heart or somebody whose emotions were so stirred by what was going around them that they wrote something down. This is from the very throne room when Nicole said the elders were falling around this great God who's a spirit who then said to his son, you're going to take the form of the flesh. And he said, I'll do it. And I will go and suffer for the people because they can't do it themselves. And I'm not going to leave them where they are. And out of this is birth, this great movement as followers of Christ. These words are powerful and living and active. And they're able to cut through the joints and marrow, which means the very word of God cuts against every other voice. So Lord, I take this stuff very serious. In fact, for me, I put my very life on it. I put my family's life on it. And if it means that we all die, Lord, then I guess that's just what happens. It's not something I want. I hope it never happens. And I'd be scared out of my mind. I'd probably be a big chicken. But I think your conviction inside me every one of us in this room to be authentic. How does Christianity survive without mics and big bands and hazers that put out smoke and, and big rock style worship and authentic worship, Lord, uh, that just brings people to the throne room? That is how it thrives 
It survives, it moves forward because people are real, not because things are engaging. You're the only one worthy of engagement. So we come to you. Lord, help us to be authentic. Help us to be authentic. If Christianity can spread in the Roman Empire under severe persecution and having nowhere to meet and running in deserts and hides in caves and people are giving their life to the Lord in droves, if that can happen, Lord, then my prayer is tonight is that we would be authentic. I mean, that's what's missing in high schools and in middle schools. When's the last time we saw a believer really believe? Who's not afraid of what the cool kids think. We're not afraid of what the money makers think. Because the last time I checked, Lord, every person that I've officiated a funeral, there's been nothing buried in their casket that meant they could do anything to get them out of it. From teddy bears to pictures all buried in the dirt. So Lord, help us to live like people that are resurrected. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Stop for a moment. Flashback. Where were you when you were called? Julian, putting you on the spot. What type of life were you living when you were called? Tell the truth, say the devil. Bigger level, bigger devil. Heathen. Heathen, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it in. Yeah. Brittany? Well, I don't What about you, Kevin? Pretty bad. I mean, you're in the Air Force. That says enough. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've heard about your wife's stories at hand to hand. All the fights she got in, hello. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she was a Marine. That's right. But think of, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, this is not to be a put down. You've got to remember, the Corinthian church thought they were something special. You've got to remember, the Corinthian church is almost exactly like Charleston. If you go back and you look where they are, you look at the way the land was situated, you look at their, listen, you look at the money that was coming in that city. I mean, it was, it, they had it going on. The size was similar to Charleston right now. I mean, it, they thought they had something going on. Let's go to the next verse. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 28. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Now, I've got to stop for a moment here because I might have just a Holy Ghost revival in my own life. It says, and the things that are not. And the things that are not. We were not holy, were we? We, we were not righteous. And we were not redeemed. We were not. Let's just, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a put down. This is not saying that y'all weren't noble and I wasn't noble and all that stuff. That's not what I want you to read in tonight. What I'm trying to say is, is that God has something different for us than we have for ourselves. And every one of us, if you pick your own life and you live your own life, you will jack yourself up. That's just the bottom line. Go ahead. You will jack. I am, listen, I deal with people right now. I mean, people that have cash flow. People that are, I got people talking to me. They're big time medical doctors and tops in their class, and they are jacked up. They got more problems 
than anybody I've seen. And every one of us in there, we put all our cash together, it would not amount to what they made. I've I just never seen anything like it. And see, what the world says is there are things that are something special. And they look at me and they say, well, John, your bank account ain't much, or you don't have this, or you don't have a degree from Harvard, or whatever, whatever the world says is, legitimizes life. Right. All I've got to say is I'd rather God notice me than man. I'd rather God look at me and have his favor. See, because I'm going to tell you tonight, it's all about, this is what I'm asking, God to give us favor. Don't you need favor at your job? Don't you need favor with your family? Don't you need favor? Hey, a nod from God can change anything. All, God, all, you, all God's got to do is look your way. You don't even have to speak. He doesn't, listen, oh, hold on a second. You don't have to turn there. Look, turn, turn to Revelation for a moment. Revelation chapter 1, i got to get this out of my heart. Revelation chapter 1, you don't have to put up there unless you want to. Uh, I'm sorry, John. It's not on. I just got to go with the spirit. Um, Revelation chapter 1, 15, 16. This is what Jesus looks like in heaven right now. He's not on the cross going, woe is me. He's not stuck in heaven like this on the cross going, eh, eh, blood. It's just not happening. If that's your picture of Jesus, then you're following somebody who is already resurrected from that. This is what he looks like. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of picking up in the middle. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. That's because fire goes before him. Hello. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His voice is like this. Like when, when God speaks, it is a roar. You ever hear the waves break? Yeah. A roar of rushing water destroys. I'll tell you, there's one, one force on this earth. There's one thing that, that scares me, and that is water. Because if water can cut out the Grand Canyon, what could it do to us? A roar of rushing water. God's voice is so loud and so powerful and so strong that his voice to us should speak louder than any other voice. Oh, come on, you don't get it. All right, Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. That was a really good word. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 12. For the word of God is living in what? Okay, so it's got to do something to believers. That's why you're here tonight, because my goal is for you to encounter Jesus. My, my goal, my prayer, everything in my heart is that we encounter Jesus. It's living in what? Okay, so God's going to do something. If he doesn't do it, then God would be a liar, and he's not. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts through the joints and marrow, rightly dividing the sword and the spirit, which means the word of God cuts. It should cut in on any other voice that's speaking to you right now. It should cut in. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Did I say second? I'm on stuck on that thing. I don't know why. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 28. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are the, the, and the things that are not. Let's go to 29. Because here is why the statement, here's why you hear the statement. At the foot of the cross, everything is love. Mm -hmm. Jesus sees him the same as he sees me. Wait, wait a minute, John. He's not a pastor. Because Jesus sees him the same as me. My pastoring is my calling. It's my duty. It's my service to the Lord. It does not put me in any better standing with Jesus than anybody else. 
We are all the same so that no one can boast. Because if somebody is better than somebody, then all of a sudden their voice becomes a little bit louder than your voice. And the only voice that will ever be heard is Jesus's. Remember, it cuts. It cuts in on anybody else's. Let's go to 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Make no mistake about it. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. First John puts it this way. The idea behind it is that God loved us before we loved him. So Jesus is our first love, as the old song would say back in the 70s. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, here's what I want you to see, who has become for us the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. If you want wisdom, go to Jesus. And here's the things that we were not. We were not righteousness, holiness, and redemption. There it is. There's your three points in the sermon. We were not righteous. We were not holy, and we were not redeemed. And I want you to know something. For all the people, again, I'm, I know I'm beating this dead horse, but I want to beat it till it's even more dead so that you can communicate. That's why you can't lose your salvation. And when I were talking about today in Catholicism, my wife was Catholic. I love, there's some born-again Catholics. Let me tell you something. There are some that are on fire for Jesus, and there are some Baptists going straight to hell. So it does not matter if your denomination your denomination does not save you. Oh, well, we're non-denominational. Oh, you're so spiritual. It doesn't matter. We're not affiliated with anybody. Well, I hope you're affiliated with Jesus. You know, because that's who I'm with. Like, I'm not going to stand up and say, Hi, I'm non-denominational, Pentecostal holiness, and uh, whatever. You know, I'm just Jesus, with Jesus. So here's why I want you to say this. Because, again, it says here that Christ is our what? So when you stand in front of the Lord... When you and I stand in for the Lord, unless he comes back, when we die, it is the righteousness of Jesus that covers us that that's why you're saved. So I'm starting to get convicted in my prayers. I've got to quit asking Jesus, God, forgive me of my sin, and start thanking him that he had me recognize my sin. Right. You see my point? I've got to stop saying, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for that thought. Please forgive me for that anger action. Please forgive me for my gluttony. Please forgive me. He's already forgiven me. I already have the righteousness of Jesus. What I need to start doing is blessing the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That he allow my heart to be open to understand that what I was doing was offending him and it was hindering my sweet relationship with him. He is our righteousness. He is everything that we do. He is why we're in right standing with God. He is the perfection. He is the reason why we live. He is the reason why we move. It is his righteousness that we get. And that is why we need to continue to bring glory and honor and more glory and honor and more glory. We need to lift. The more, listen, the more we can just brag on Jesus, people will come to him. That's right. Just brag on Jesus. That's right. Just realize I was not. And see, here's what happened. The reason why people can't brag on Jesus is because of pride. Because they were thinking, they think there's something they're not. Go back to verse, what is it, 28? And the things that are not. He chose the lowly things, John Davis of this world, and the despised things, John Davis, and the things that are not. I was not righteous, but a proud person thinks they are. A proud person will not hear this. You try to tell a proud person that they're not righteous, they become offended. You tell a humble people that a humble person that they're not righteous, he'll get saved. A, a, a humble person will receive, and you tell them they're not righteous, they'll receive it with joy, and they'll be excited that somebody set them free because they figured out they can't set themselves free. A humble person is, is grateful. They're grateful. 
They realize that they're in bondage and they cannot fix it. But a prideful person says, I can fix anything, even my relationship with God. And what they don't realize is they're the ones that are not saved. Pharisees. They nullify the things that are right. Go back to verse 30, please. It is because of Jesus, excuse me, because of God that you're in Christ, Jesus, who has become for us, Jesus is the wisdom of God. That is, and here's the wisdom of God, righteousness. He's also our holiness. What is holiness? Come on. I'm a sorry pastor if I ain't told this. What is holiness? Yeah, you said it. What is it? Yeah. What does that mean? In fact, come on, Zach. You've been in my classes. You're, you're a religion major here. You're smart. You got all that theological training. What does that mean to be set apart? What does it really mean to be holy? What is it? Without sin, that's the righteousness of God. You're exactly right. And holy means that we can be used. What was that you were saying? I'm sorry I didn't hear it. To be different from the world. That's, that's exactly, and you're tracking it. Yes. The idea of holiness is this. Holiness is, is interesting. It's, um, and if we're going to be authentic, we've got to be authentic and, and say this. Number one, I want you to get this. First, we've got to be authentic that Jesus is our righteousness and we are not. The second way to be authentic, I want us to be authentic. Authenticity is what wins people to Jesus. It's not, listen, if I, I say this all the time to the students on campus, and I'm going to say it to you. What you win them with, you keep them with. If you want to go out on a date with a really hot looking girl, and you pull up in a real nice ride, and you've got that, I mean, that, you pull up in a Corvette with a top down, and you take her out, and you take her to the Charleston airport, and you get in your little plane that you've, that you rent it and you fly her over uh, down to Jacksonville and you eat on top of some high dollar uh, restaurant on top of some building and you fly her back and then you take her back to the Corvette to her house and drop her off, say, how you doing, see you later, write that. I mean, the next time you go out, what's she going to be thinking? I get top that. So, all right, something better. Because what you win them with, you keep them with. If you wine and dine them, you better bring it. You better bring it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My wife is right. We're going to McDonald's and argue over not sharing fries. You know, I mean, that's just the bottom line. See, this is what I want you to see. you got to be authentic. What you win them with, you keep them with. What you win them with, you keep them with. And so for me, if we're going to be authentic, if a church is going to have, listen, do we want to have the best children's ministry? Absolutely. Not because we want to be better than any other church in this area, but because we want to be faithful to the Lord who's called us to love those children as as well as we can and let the spirit of God move in our hearts that we can love them and reach into their loneliness reach into their brokenness reach into the level of where they can think and say here is the beauty of Jesus we want to do that with our youth and say we want to love you we want to do that with every age group we just want to be authentic that is why I stand at the door on Sunday and say we are pinto beans and cornbread we are more jacked up than we've got we got right but I'll tell you what we do have at this church is a lot of people that love Jesus So for me, if you're going to be authentic, we've got to be authentic about holiness. It means this. There's nothing special about us that makes us holy. Holiness is exactly right. We have been called to be set apart. How was how the forks holy in the temple? They were dedicated to God. You have been dedicated to God. 
You have been dedicated. When you said yes to Jesus, you just dedicated yourself to be whole. John. Yes. It's not common. That. When Donna had a shirt out remember years ago, Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, that's why she's in Kabbalah, which is just New Age Jewish mysticism, which is an absolute joke. <laughs> that is why I love watching Seth when you're up here. You were playing, what was it, two weeks ago? Was it two weeks ago you were playing up here on Sunday night? He's just making up. Three, is it three weeks ago? I don't know. It's all running together, okay? But you had your shoes off. And I remember, was it you I told or somebody else I told? Was it Beth? I leaned over to Beth. I said, Beth, look at Seth up there. I said, he always does it because he believes he's standing on holy ground. Since I've known you, isn't that true? Kim, isn't that true? Since, I mean, since I've known Seth up there, he always, it could be on Sunday morning. He's, he's got his shoes on because he treats it. You're exactly right. So I want to I want to build on that. There's nothing special that makes us holy. But to the world, they will always pull us down because they think we're getting ahead. See, they're trying to pull you down out of the holiness. But here's why. Here's really what it means to be holy. Uh, Deuteronomy 9, 3 through 6. I've read this to you before, but I want to remind us. I, I thought it was great how he said to Israel. He said, be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. There's that fire, right? The holiness of God is a fire of hell. And so um, he will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. So he's telling you, when you go into the promised land, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wax all the, all the people that are, that are taking their children and they're offering their children to the God of Malak as they're drowning in their skin as it melts. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you and, he, and you will draw them out and annihilate them quickly. This is what I love about the Lord. As the Lord has promised you, go to verse 4. This is where it gets good. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Let's keep reading. This gets really good. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Verse 6, he reminds us again. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness. Third time, right? That the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. And he's saying, <laughs> right, I am. And so what he's saying there is, listen, the only reason that we have anything is because somebody else was jacked up, which means this. If you don't stand up, God will raise somebody else. So go ahead and not stand up. It's okay. 
I'm too busy. I'm too busy to play. I'm too busy to sing. I'm too busy to teach. I'm too busy to serve. I'm too busy to mentor. I'm too busy to invest. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm, go ahead. It's going to be all right. Because God's plan will not be thwarted. He will raise up somebody else to go to Africa. You go ahead and delay the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will move on. I want you to know that. I have missed him in my life. Make no mistake, I have missed him. Now, here's what's great about the Lord. He does give second, third, thousandth chance. But I might not reap the full benefits of what I could have done. And so for you that are young enough in this room, don't miss the Lord. Don't miss it. Don't sit here and say, I'm not ready yet. There is no, can I just say this? There is nobody in this room ready. When did it, when did, when did, at what point in my life did I become qualified to preach? So I just want to know. Please show me. There's not a point in my life that God says, oh, now you're qualified, John. Now go ahead and I get up there every time going, God, what am I doing up here? Y'all are way smarter than me. You know more. You've been around more. You've seen things. I mean, Kevin, you know, I mean, you got Methuselah than Kevin. I mean, what more do you want? Man? Right? Just kidding. I love him. Love him. But I, I'm just saying, I'm, nobody's ready. You're, I mean, nobody's ready to lead. Just stand up and lead because it's not you that's leading anyway. It's the Spirit of God. Well, I don't know if I can witness. Get over yourself. You've made the whole witnessing encounter about you, and you're not the one who saves. It is the Spirit of God. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. For those that are parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. you got your kid on that bike. And, Chris, I know you're having a flashback. That, that beautiful motorcycle you got. I got it, right? But you got that kid on that bike. And they're saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. And you're running along with them, and you're moving. Here's the difference. In the world that we live in, we, we get to the point where we can balance the bike, and the parent lets us go. But with God, he never lets us go. Because when he let us go, we would fall and crash. Because there's no time, no place anywhere we can balance our lives, balance our faith, balance our future, balance our past, balance our sins. We cannot manage ourselves. So, what does it mean? Holiness has to do with favor. The Lord showed me it carries the idea of grace, which you're talking about cheap grace. Bonhoeffer, right? Um, Ian Bounds said this. The work of God in the world is the implantation, the growth, and the perfection and perfection of the holiness of his people. The implantation, here's what holiness is. He implants something in your heart, he grows it, and then he perfects it in you. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 7. I love this passage. What? Okay. Now, Paul is saying about people, if you're not married, uh, Kevin, we just talking about this earlier today. If you're not married and you're, you're, going, you're called to get married, here's how you know you don't have to get the celibacy. You want to get married. Uh, there you go. You'll know when God calls you. Trust me. You'll know. Maybe I'm just meant to be single all my life because I haven't had a date. Be quiet. If you want a date, you're not called to celibacy. Alright, so uh, that's, my, that's my pastoral encouragement. Um, my point being this. So if you're not married, the Bible says if you're going to be a believer, you've got to marry a believer. Now, I know that everybody wants a missionary day. I know you feel called by God to bring that person to Jesus. I want to say again and again and again, you and I can't bring anybody to Jesus. It is Jesus that reaches them in spite of us. We are just the mouthpiece. And if we didn't raise up and say it, God would go ahead and say, okay, you're going to...
going to you'll move out of their life. There'll be a death separation of your relationship, and I'll raise somebody else who'll do it. Esther. For such a time as this. So then he says, okay. So the people are getting saved and they go, okay, I'm saved, but my spouse is not. Should, should I leave? Should I bolt out? Because, you know, I, my, my, my spouse is making fun of me. Tony Evans, man, I don't agree with everything Tony Evans said, but uh, Tony Evans' um, father got radically saved. You know who Tony, Tony Evans, he's in Dallas. He's an uh, uh, urban alternative in uh, He's at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. He's from Baltimore. Priscilla, uh, how do you say her last Shire. name? Shire. Shire. That's Shire. the daughter. Shire. Yeah. yeah um, and then his son, Tony, who sings, uh, his dad got radically saved. His mother, for a year and a half, beat that man down. Beat him. And she would stand and cuss him out and just rip him and make fun of him. And so one night, he, he couldn't get away from her because the woman would drive him crazy. And so it was like constant dripping. He couldn't even get to the corner of the attic. She was on him, right? And so he would go at 2 and 3 in the morning. He would go down and pray. It's the only time he could spend time with the Lord. He had to get away. And she, one night he, he goes down and pray, and she wakes up, and she starts ripping and railing around him. Finally, he's never responding to her. He responds in love, responds in love. And she woke up, and she stood up at the top of the stairs, and she said, for a year and a half, I've given you everything I've got, and you haven't changed. Your God must be real. She gets saved. The rest is history. To the rest, I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother, woo, time is flying. It's already seven. I got to stop. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, somebody comes to you and says, I just can't take her anymore. Well, good thing that God couldn't take you. <laughs> See, if you're trying to live with your relationship or your singleness out of your flesh, then people and the devil will wear you out. But if you're doing it in the power of the Spirit, God is for you, you can be against you, right? If any brother, you must not divorce her. Let's go to the next one. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and she is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. There's the answer. It's clear. It's black and white. It's simple, right? All right, 14. This is the part I really like. For if the unbelieving husband has been sanctified holy through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband otherwise your children will be unclean but it is but as it is they are holy now let me clarify this this does not mean that they're saved it does not mean your spouse is saved or your children are saved that's not what he means by sanctified what he does mean is because one part of the family uh, leaders is holy because one part is holy that means that God's blessing and favor is on that family that's what it means you have set that family up to be blessed. Yes, I know you don't feel blessed when your husband's railing at you or when your kids are calling you an idiot or, or maybe you're the student and you're safe and your parents think you're an idiot. I know you don't feel like that's blessed, but I want to tell you something. Because of you being in that family and standing strong for the Lord, your family is positioned to be blessed by God. Because I know this about God. God will not be mocked. Oh, he'll let them mock him for a while. Like, God almost gives people so much time and grace to let them be mocked. You know, again, I was reading Acts chapter 9 uh, this morning. Acts chapter 9. You know, here comes Saul, right? Paul, you know, but he's using his Hebrew name, Saul. He used to come out. He's persecuting the church. He's locking them up, taking women and all this stuff, throwing them in jail, like watching Stephen die, giving, you know, his approval to it as they set the clothes. And what does Jesus say? Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute who? You take a swing at the bride, you take a swing at the groom. Paul was persecuting people. And Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Which means when somebody steps to you, they step to Jesus. That's not a great place to be. So this is what he means. But it, as it is, they are holy. That means they have been set apart because they're not at the age of accountability. Maybe whatever else. They've been set apart to be blessed. Because you were set apart by God and called in that household. You were called at that job. You were called into a family that does not know Jesus and think you're whack. But God wants you to know they're not what they think they are. And you are not what they think they are. Or you are. All right, so let's, let's, let's keep going on that. So um, think about this. Here's an example. Uh, Joseph and Potiphar's house. What happened to Potiphar's house? Blessed. That's, that's the image of somebody in the house who's holy and right with God, and the house is being blessed, even though the house is wicked. Right? Because his wife's trying to sleep with him. I mean, it's jacked up. Right? So I, I want to read this. The church is the people of God called out from the world. Being called out has the connotation of being different. That's what you were talking about, Karen. Being other from the rest of the world. If this is true, how do we deal with the sobering statement from George Barna? George Barna does a lot of the Christian research, and then, it, then there's Pew Research. Believers are largely indistinguishable from non-believers in how they think and live. Jesus put it this way. If the salt loses its saltiness, then what is, it's, it's good for nothing, and it's to be thrown. Okay, all right, you're, you taught chemistry how many years? Sorry to bash you. I'm not trying to bash you. I've been a long time. I'm trying to give you some street cred in the room. All right, so, uh, right, so can salt actually, can its DNA, I mean, well, I don't know how to say the word. Chemically, can it actually change? No. So what is, how does salt lose the saltiness? It doesn't. The only way for salt to lose saltiness is if, when it becomes mixed with something else. Then it becomes good for nothing. So when you allow yourself to be mixed with unholy, then what you've done is become unsalted. Um, so I end with this. Sorry. So let me give you this. First, way to be authentic. We've got to make sure everybody knows in our lives that Jesus is our righteousness and not us. Right? The second thing is this is that, and it's very important, that we must be authentic about holiness, which is what Karen is saying. We as believers, when we go in on Sunday morning, there's a lot of non-believers. There's a lot of people hurt and broken, don't know anything about Jesus, and of course they're going to treat Jesus as common. But they're only going to know to treat Jesus as Lord as we treat him as Lord. So if we don't treat him as Lord, they're only going to do the way we treat him. If I treat Jesus as, as my homeboy, then Lauren growing up is going to treat Jesus that way at best most likely he will be nothing to her because he's nothing to me if Jesus is not a priority in my life if he is not my life if he is not consuming me she's not going to give Jesus the time of day so we've got to be authentic about holiness we've got to be authentic about righteousness and the last thing I just want to leave with this is we've got to be authentic about redemption And this is what I mean by this. 
and I think Warren says it best. The best way to be authentic about redemption is that now no longer does he care about himself, but he cares about where other people stand with the Lord, and that's why he went to Ethiopia. Like, you can't live with yourself knowing that you're okay and your family's okay, but there has to be an outward expression of redemption. It can't just be an inward acceptance of the redemption, that we are God's redeemed. We see other people that are not redeemed, and we're going to do anything and everything we can to let them know that Jesus has bought them with a price. Therefore, honor God with your life. And so you go. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians, if you don't mind. One, let's go to 28. And I close with this. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And my mom said to me, I'll never forget. And she's, listen, the Bible says, do not despise your mother when she's old. I do not despise my mother. I love her and I honor her. Um, but she did tell me that she said, you will never, ever step in the pulpit of First Baptist Salter, North Carolina, without your doctor. I was one month in seminary in 1999. I preached my first revival there. <laughs> what did she say? started the master's program and I was already preaching in that book. That's a true story. You ought to get Lynette. She, she can tell, tell it better than I can. See, it nullifies the things at all. You don't need any man-made, yeah, you better go get what God tells you to get and do what God tells you to do. But if God raises you up, it don't matter. Oh, which, by the way, God can find you wherever you are. He's Lord of heaven and earth. Let's go to 29. So that no one may boast before him. And then, um, Nicole, if you want to come up and pray, or, um, excuse me, play or again. Verse 30. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus. It starts with God the Father. Who has become for us, Jesus, has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He is the one who redeemed us. And then he said, it's time for you to go. So what I want to say to this is that um, if you truly believe that God is redeemed, then you start looking at other people if they're if they're redeemed. And I know that some of us in this room we, we were, were really trying hard to reach out to lost people. But I want you to know, just be faithful to accept the ones that God sent you. Sometimes I'm going to be honest with you, I get my eye on somebody, I get my life, okay, God, I got a glimpse of them. And it's the person that's standing over here in the periphery is the one that ends up coming. That person goes. And I get my mind so focused on that person that I forget to look over here and see the one that's God's drawing. So, if, if, for example, like my uh, adopted daughter, Brandy, if God sends Brandy into my family, and that's who God chooses, So it's not our responsibility to choose. It's God's responsibility to choose, but it is our responsibility to declare. So you got to stand up in school. you got to stand up in school. you got to stand up in school. Y'all have to be the voice. They're in. Look, I know there's nobody else doing it. Like, right, Jenny? I know there's nobody else. Like, you're the one. You're on your team. You're on your, whatever you're at, your school, you're at. You're, you're the only voice. Just be the voice. I, I'm tired of Christians and there has not nobody in this room. I'm just tired of Christians outside that I hear sometimes say, but I'm the only one. 
When did you ever need more to become the majority? As if we need more numbers than other people to win a victory. The Christian, the Christians were overtaking the Roman Empire because they were authentic, not because they had numbers or cash. What they had was so compelling. Being honest. And that doesn't mean 